Wacky Wednesday by Dr. Zeus. Wacky Wednesday. It all began with that shoe on the wall. A shoe on a wall shouldn't be there at all. Then I looked up and I said, oh man, and that's how Wacky Wednesday began. I looked out the window and I said, gee, more things are wacky and I saw three. I went down the hall and I said, hey, three more things were wacky today. In the bathroom, more. In the bathroom, four. I began to dress, then I said, wow, four more things were wacky now. I looked in the kitchen and I said, by cracky, five more things are very wacky. I was late for school. I started along and I saw that six more things were wrong. And then seven more. And the Sutherland sisters, they looked wacky too. They said, nothing is wacky around here but you. But look, I yelled, eight things are wrong here at school. Nothing is wrong, they said, don't be a fool. I ran into school, I yelled to Miss Bass, look, nine things are wacky right here in your class. Nothing is wacky here in my class. Get out, you're the wacky one, out said Miss Bass. I went out the school door. Things were worse than before. I couldn't believe it. Ten wacky things more. Then I counted eleven. And then twelve worse things. I got scared and I ran. I ran and I knocked over Patrolman McGann. I'm sorry, Patrolman, that's all I could say. Don't be sm sorry, he smiled, it's that kind of a day. But be glad Wacky Wednesday will soon go away. Only twenty things more will be wacky, he said. Just find them and then you can go back to bed. Wacky Wednesday was gone when I counted them all. I even got rid of that shoe on the wall. What was I scared of? Well, I was walking in the night, and I saw nothing scary, for I have never been afraid of anything not very. Then I was deep within the woods, when suddenly I spied them. I saw a pair of pale green pants, with nobody inside them. I wasn't scared, but yet I stopped. What could those pants be there for? What could a pair of pants at night be standing in the air for? And then they moved, those empty pants. They kind of started jumping. And then my heart, I must admit, it kind of started thumping. So I got out. I got out fast, as fast as I could go, sir. I wasn't scared, but pants like that, I do not care for. No, sir. After that, a week went by. Then one night in Greenwich, I had to do an errand there. 
and fetch some Greenwich spinach. Well, I fetched the spinach and I started back through town when those pants raced around a corner and they almost knocked me down. I lost my Greenwich spinach, but I didn't even care. I ran for home. Believe me, I had really had a scare. Now, bicycles were never made for pale green pants to ride them, especially spooky pale green pants with nobody inside them. And the next night I was fishing for doubt trout on Ruva River when those pants came rowing toward me. Well, I began to shiver. And by now I was so frightened that I'll tell you, but I hate to. I screamed and rowed away and lost my hook and line and bait too. I ran and found a bickle bush. I hid myself away. I got bickles in my bridges, but I stayed there anyway. I stayed all night, the next night too. I'd be there still, no doubt, but I had to do an errand. So the next night I went out. I had to do an errand. I had to pick a peck of snide in a dark and gloomy snide field that was almost nine miles wide. I said, I do not fear those pants with nobody inside them. I said and said and said those words. I said them, but I lied them. Then I reached inside a snide bush, and the next thing that I knew, I felt my hand touch someone, and I'll bet that you know who. And there I was, caught in the snide, in, in that dreadful place, those spooky empty pants and I were standing face to face. I yelled for help, I screamed, I shrieked, I howled, I yowled, I cried. Oh, save me from these pale green pants with nobody inside. But then a strange thing happened. Why, those pants began to cry. Those pants began to tremble. They were just as scared as I. I never heard such whimpering, and I began to see that I was just as strange to them as they were strange to me. I put my arm around their waist and sat right down beside them. I calmed them down, poor empty pants, with nobody inside them. And now we meet quite often, those empty pants and I. And we never shake or tremble. We both smile and we say, hi. Horton, here's a who by Dr. Zeus. Horton, here's a who. On the 15th of May, in the jungle of Nool, in the heat of the day, in the cool of the pool, he was splashing, enjoying the jungle's great joys, when Horton the elephant heard a small noise. So Horton stopped splashing. He looked towards the sound. That's funny, thought Horton. There's no one around. Then he heard it again, just a very faint yelp, as if some tiny person was calling for help. I'll help you, said Horton. But who are you? Where? He looked and he looked. He could see nothing there but a small speck of dust blowing past through the air. I say, murmured Horton, I've never heard tell of a small speck of dust that is able to yell. So you know what I think, why I think that there must be someone on top of that small speck of dust, some sort of creature of very small size, too small to be seen by an elephant's eyes. Some poor little person who's shaking with fear. He'll be blown in the pool. He has no way to steer. I'll just have to save him because, after all, a person's a person, no matter how small. So gently and using the greatest of care, the elephant stretched his great trunk through the air, and he lifted the dust speck and carried it over and placed it down safe 
on a very soft clover. Humph, humphed a voice. Twas a sour kangaroo, and the young kangaroo in her pouch said humph too. Why that speck is as small as the head of a pin. A person on that? Why there never has been. Believe me, said Haunton, I tell you sincerely, my ears are quite keen, and I heard him quite clearly. I know there's a person down there, and what's more, quite likely there's two, even three, even four. Quite likely, a family, for all that we know, a family with children starting to grow. So please, Haunton said, as a favour to me, try not to disturb them. Just please let them be. I think you're a fool, laughed the sour kangaroo. And the young kangaroo in her pouch said, Me too. You're the biggest blame fool in the jungle of Noor. And the kangaroos plunged in the cool of the pool. What terrible splashing, the elephant frowned. I can't let my very small persons get drowned. I've got to protect them. I'm bigger than they. So he picked up the clover and hustled away. Through the high jungle tops, the news quickly spread. He talks to a dust speck. He's out of his head. Just look at him walk with a speck on that flower. And Horton walked worrying almost an hour. Should I put this speck down? Horton thought with alarm. If I do, these small persons may come to great harm. I can't put it down, and I won't after all. A person's a person, no matter how small. The Haunton stopped walking. The speck voice was talking. The voice was so faint he could just barely hear it. Speak up, please, said Haunton. He put his ear near it. My friend, came the voice. You're a very fine friend. You've helped us folks on this dust speck no end. You've saved all our houses, our ceilings and floors. You've saved all our churches and grocery stores. You mean, Horton gasped, you have buildings there too? Oh yes, piped the voice. We most certainly do. I know, called the voice, I'm too small to be seen. But I'm mayor of a town that is friendly and clean. Our buildings to you would seem terribly small, but to us who aren't big, they are wonderfully tall. My town is called Whoville, for I am a Who, and we Whos are all grateful and thankful to you. And Haunton called back to the mayor of the town, You're safe now, don't worry, I won't let you down. But just as he spoke to the mayor of the speck, Three big jungle monkeys climbed up Haunton's neck. The Wickersham brothers came shouting, What rot! This elephant's talking to who's who are not. There aren't any who's, and they don't have a mare, and we're going to stop all this nonsense. So there. They snatched Haunton's clover. They carried it off to a black-bottomed eagle named Vlad Vladikov a mighty strong eagle, a very swift wing, and they said, will you kindly get rid of this thing? And before the poor giant even could speak, that eagle flew off with the flower in his beak. All that late afternoon and far into the night, that black bottom burb flapped his wings in fast flight. While Horton chased after with groans over stones that tattered his toenails and battered his bones and begged, please don't harm all my little folks who have as much right to live as us bigger folks do. But far, far beyond him, the eagle kept flapping and over his shoulder called back, quit ye yapping. I'll fly through the night. I'm a bird. I don't mind it. And I'll hide this tomorrow, where you'll never find it. And at 6.56 the next morning he did it. It sure was a terrible place that he hid it. He let that small clover drop somewhere inside. 
of a great patch of clovers a hundred miles wide. Find that, sneered the bird, but I think you will fail. And he left with a flip of his black-bottomed tail. I'll find it, cried Horton. I'll find it or bust. I shall find my friends on my small speck of dust. And clover by clover by clover with care, he picked up and searched them and called, Are you there? But clover by clover by clover he found that the one that he sought was just not around. And by noon poor old Horton, more dead than alive, had picked, searched and piled up nine thousand and five. Then, through the afternoon, hour after hour, till he found them at last, on the three millionth flower. My friends, cried the elephant, tell me, do tell, are you safe, are you sound, are you whole, are you well? From down on the speck came the voice of the mare, we've really had trouble, much more than our share. When that black-bottomed bird let go and we dropped, we landed so hard that our clocks have all stopped. Our teapots are broken, our rocking chairs smashed, and our bicycle tires all blew up when we crashed. So Haunton, please, pleaded that voice of the mares, will you stick by us who's while we're making repairs? Of course, Haunton answered, of course I will stick. I'll stick by you small folks through thin and through thick. Humph, humph, a voice. For almost two days, you've run wild and insisted on chatting with persons who've never existed. Such carry-ons in our peaceable jungle. We've had quite enough of your bellowing bungle. And I'm here to state, snapped the big kangaroo, that your silly nonsical game is all through. And the young kangaroo in her pouch said, Me too. With the help of the Wickersham brothers and dozens of Wickersham uncles and Wickersham cousins and Wickersham in-laws, whose help I've engaged, you're going to be roped and you're going to be caged. And as for your dust speck, ha, that we shall boil in a hot steaming kettle of bezel nut oil. Boil it, gasped Haunton. Oh, that you can't do. It's all full of persons. They'll prove it to you. Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor, Haunton called. Mr. Mayor, you've got to prove now that you really are there. So call a big meeting, get everyone out. Make every who holler, make every who shout, make every who scream. If you don't, every who is going to end up in a bezel nut stew. And down on the dust speck, the scared little mare quick called a meeting of Whoville Town Square, and his people cried loudly, they crowd out in fear. We are here, we are here, we are here, we are here. The elephant smiled. That was clear as a bell. You kangaroos surely heard that very well. All I heard, snapped the big kangaroo, was the breeze and the faint sound of wind through the far distant trees. I heard no small voices and you didn't either. And the young kangaroo in her pouch said, me neither. Grab him, they shouted, and cage the big dope. Lasso his stomach with ten miles of rope. Tie the knots tight so he'll never shake loose. Then dunk that dumb speck in the beetle nut juice. Horton fought back with great vigour and vim. But the Wickersham gang was too many for him. They beat him, they mauled him, they started to haul him into his cage, but he managed to call to the mayor, don't give up, I believe in you all. A person's a person, no matter how small. And you very small persons will not have to die. 
if you make yourself heard. So come on now and try. The mayor grabbed a tom-tom. He started to smack it. And all over Whoville, they whooped up a racket. They rattled tin kettles. They beat on brass pans, on garbage pail tops and old Canbury cans. They blew on bazookas and blasted great toots on clarinets, opams and buhas and flutes. Great gusts of loud racket rang high through the air. They rattled and shook the whole sky. And the mare caught up through the howling mad hubaloo. Hey, Haunton, how's this? Is our sound coming through? And Haunton called back, I can hear you just fine. But the kangaroo's ears aren't as strong quite as mine. They don't hear a thing. Are you sure all your boys are doing their best? Are they all making noise? Are you sure every who down in Whoville is working? Quick, look through town. Is anyone shirking? Through the town rushed the mayor from the east to the west, but everyone seemed to be doing his best. Everyone seemed to be yapping or yipping. Everyone seemed to be beeping or bipping. But it wasn't enough, all this ruckus and roar. He had to find something to help them make more. He raced through each building, he searched floor to floor. And just as he felt, he was getting nowhere and almost about to give up in despair. He suddenly burst through a door and that mare discovered one shrinker, quite hidden away in the Fairfax Apartments, apartment 12J. A very small, very small shirker named Jojo was standing, just standing and bouncing a yo-yo not making a sound, not a yip, not a chirp. And the mare rushed inside and grabbed the young twerp. And he climbed with the lad up the Elfelberg Tower. This, cried the mare, is your town's darkest hour, the time for all whos who have blood that is red, to come to the aid of their country, he said. You've got to make noises in greater amounts. So open your mouth, lad, for every voice counts. Thus he spoke as he climbed, when they got to the top. That lad cleared his throat, and he shouted out, Yop! And that yop, that one small extra yop, put it over. Finally, at last, from that speck on that clover, their voices were heard. They rang out clear and clean, and the elephant smiled. Do you see what I mean? They've proved they are persons, no matter how small. And their whole world was saved by the smallest of all. How true, yes, how true, said the big kangaroo. And from now on, you know what I'm planning to do. From now on, I'm going to protect them with you. And the young kangaroo in her pouch said, Me too. From sun in the summer, from rain when it's foolish, I'm going to protect them no matter how. Smallish. Twenty-three sons, and she named them all Dave. Well, she did, and that wasn't a smart thing to do. You see, when she wants one, she calls out, Yoo-hoo! Come into the house, Dave. She doesn't get one. All 23 Daves of hers come on the run. This makes things quite difficult at the McCaves, as you can imagine, with so many Daves. And often she wishes that when they were born, she had named one of them Bukin Van Horn, and one of them Hoosfoos, and one of them Shinin, and one of them Hotshot, and one of them Sunny Jim and one of them Shadrach, and one of them Blikey, and one of them Stuffy, and one of them Spiky, another one Putt-Putt, another one Moonface, another one Marvin or, or Grey or Balloonface, and one of them Ziggy, and one Soggy Muff, and one Buffalo Bill, and one Biffalo Buff, and one of them Sneepy, and one Weepy Weed, and one Paris Garters, and one Harris Tweed, and one of them Sir Michael Carmichael Sut, and one of them Oliver Bolivia, but, and one of them Zanzibar, Buck Buck McFate. But she didn't do it, and now it's 
too late. There's a Wocket in My Pocket by Dr. Seuss. There's a Wocket in My Pocket, and a Findo in My Window, and a Nook Gaze in My Bookcase. Did you ever have a feeling there's a wasket in your basket, or a neuro in your bureau, or a was it in your closet? Sometimes I feel certain there's a jertin in my curtain. Sometimes I have the feeling there's a zlock behind the clock. And that zelf up on that shelf, I have talked to him myself. That's the kind of house I live in. There's a nink in the sink and a zamp in the lamp. And they're rather nice, I think. Some of them are very friendly, like the yacht in the pot, but that yottle in the bottle. Some are friendly, some are not. I like the zabel on the table and the jair under the chair, but the bofa on the sofa, well, I wish he wasn't there. All the nutbuds in the cupboards, they're good fun to have about. But that noothbrush on my toothbrush, him I could do without. The only one I'm really scared of is that vug under the rug. And that quimney up the chimney, I don't like him not at all. And it makes me sort of nervous when the zool shoots down the hall. But the yeps on the steps, they're great fun to have around. And so are many, many other friends that I have found. Like the teller and the nella and the gella and the della and the bella and the wella and the zella in the cellar. And the geeling on the ceiling and the zower in my shower. And the zillow on my pillow. I don't care if you believe it. That's the kind of house I live in. And I hope we never leave it. The Zacks by Dr. Zeus. One day, making tracks in the prairie of Prax, came a north-going Zax and a south-going Zax. And it happened that both of them came to a place where they bumped, there they stood, foot to foot, face to face. Look here now, the north-going Zax said. I say, you are blocking my path, you are right in my way. I'm a north-going Zax, and I'll always go north. Get out of my way now and let me go forth. Who's in whose way? snapped the south-going Zax. I'm always going south, making south-going tracks. So you're in my way, and I'm asking you to move. And let me go south in my south-going groove. Then the north-going Zax puffed his chest up with pride. I never, he said, take a step to one side. And I'll prove to you that I won't change my ways if I have to keep standing here 59 days. And I'll prove to you, yelled the south-going Zax, that I can stand here in the prairie of Prax for fifty-nine years, for I live by a rule that I learned as a boy back in south-going school. Never budge, that's my rule, never budge in the least, not an inch to the west, not an inch to the east. I'll stay here not budging, and I can and I will, if it takes you and me and the whole world to stand still. Well, of course, the world didn't stand still. The world grew. In a couple of years, the new highway came through, and they built it right over those two stubborn sacks, and left them there, standing unbudged in their tracks. The Big Brag by Dr. Seuss the rabbit felt mighty important that day, on the top of the hill in the sun where he lay. 
He felt so important up there on the hill that he started to brag, as animals will. And he boasted out loud as he threw out his chest, Of all the beasts in the world, I'm the best. On land and on sea, even up in the sky, no animal lives who is better than I. What's that? growled a voice that was terribly gruff. Now why do you say such ridiculous stuff? The rabbit looked down and he saw a big bear. I'm the best of the beasts, said the bear, and so there. You're not, snapped the rabbit. I'm better than you. Pooh, the bear snorted. Again, I say poo. You talk mighty big, Mr. Rabbit, that's true. But how can you prove it? Just what can you do? Hmm, thought the rabbit. Now what can I do? And he thought, and he thought, then he finally said, Mr. Bear, do you see these two ears on my head? My ears are so keen and so sharp and so fine. No ears in the world can hear further than mine. Humph, the bear grunted. He looked at each ear. You say they are good, said the bear with a sneer. But how do I know just how far they can hear? I'll prove, said the rabbit. My ears are the best. You sit there and watch me. I'll prove it by test. Then he stiffened his ears till they both stood up high and pointed straight up at the blue of the sky. He stretched his ears open as wide as he could. Shh. I am listening, he said as he stood. He listened so hard that he started to sweat, and the fur on his ears and his forehead got wet. For seven long minutes he stood, then he stared, and he said to the bear, Do you know what I heard? Do you see that far mountain? It's ninety miles off. There's a fly on that mountain. I just heard him cough. Now the cough of a fly, sir, is quite hard to hear when he's 90 miles off, but I heard it quite clear. So you see, bragged the rabbit, it's perfectly true that my ears are the best, so I'm better than you. The bear, for a moment, just sulked as he sat, for he knew that his ears couldn't hear things like that. This rabbit, he thought, made a fool out of me. Now I've got to prove that I'm better than he. So he said to the rat, You hear pretty well. You can hear 90 miles, but how far can you smell? I'm the greatest of smellers, he bragged. See my nose? This nose on my face is the finest that grows. My nose can smell anything, both far and near. With my nose, I can smell twice as far as you hear. You can't... Snap the rabbit, I can, growled the bear, and he stuck his big nose way up high in the air. He wiggled that nose and he sniffed and he snuffed. He waggled that nose and he whiffed and he wuffed. For more than ten minutes he snaffed and he snuffed, and then he said to the rabbit, I've smelled far enough. All right, said the rabbit, come on and tell. Exactly how far is the smell that you smell? Oh, I'm smelling a very far smell, said the bear, away past the fly on the mountain out there. I'm smelling past many great mountains beyond, 600 miles more to the edge of a pond. And way, way out there by the pond you can't see is a very small farm. On the farm is a tree. On the tree is a branch. On the branch is a nest. A very small nest where two tiny eggs rest. Two hummingbirds' eggs, only half an inch long. But my nose, said the bear, is so wonderfully strong. My nose is so good that I smelled without fail that the egg on the left is a little bit stale. And that is a thing that no rabbit can do. So you see, the bear boasted, I'm better than you. My smell is so keen that it just can't be beat. What's that? called a voice from way down by his feet. 
The bear and the rabbit looked down at the sound, and they saw an old worm crawling out of the ground. Now, boys, said the worm, you've been bragging a lot. You both think you're great, but I think you are not. You're not half as good as a fellow like me. You hear and you smell. But how far can you see? Now I'm here to prove to you big boasting guys that your nose and your ears aren't as good as my eyes. And the little old worm cocked his head to one side and he opened his eyes and he opened them wide. And they looked far away with a strange sort of stare as if they were burning two holes in the air. The eyes of that worm almost popped from his head. He stared half an hour till his eyelids got red. That's enough, growled the bear. Tell the rabbit and me. How far did you look and just what did you see? Well, boys, the worm answered, that look that I took was a look that looked further than you'll ever look. I looked across the ocean way out to Japan, for I can see further than anyone can. There's no one on earth who has eyesight that's finer. I looked past Japan, and then I looked across China. I looked across Egypt, then took a quick glance across the two countries of Holland and France. Then I looked across England and also Brazil. But I didn't stop there. I looked much further still. And I kept right on looking and looking until I looked round the world and right back to this hill. And I saw on this hill, since my eyesight so keen, the two biggest fools that I ever have seen. And the fools that I saw were none other than you, who seem to have nothing else better to do than sit here and argue who's better than who. Then the little old worm gave his head a small jerk, and he dived in his hole and went back to his work.